it's live even. Man, it's a banner day. Hey, if you guys got your Bibles, open up to 2 Kings chapter 23, and we'll take a look at what the Lord has for us this evening. As we look at 2 Kings, uh, this section of Scripture, chapter 22, 23, we're introduced to a pretty incredible character. His name was Josiah. Uh, maybe you'll remember, he came uh, to be king uh, about eight years old, and uh, he has a, a co-regency, which means he rules uh, with his father for a time period, uh, but then he's on his own. And if you'll remember, last time we talked about uh, chapter 22 and 23, he lays out for us seven steps to revival, seven things that Josiah did for the nation to try to get him on track. They found the Word of God. Uh, they had lost it. Nobody had been reading it. Nobody had been spending any time in God's Word. And so they had just did whatever they thought was right in their own heart and in their own mind. And, and so they were lost in idolatry. Uh, that was just the, the nation, um, what they had become by the time of Josiah. So Josiah tears down all the idols. And Josiah, they find the Word of God. And more than finding the Word of God, Josiah reads it and gets surprised at all the things that the Word of God told him to do that they weren't doing. And all the things that the Word of God said, that the, how they should walk and the, the feasts and the festivals that they should be having and all of it, that they were, were, was not even a part of their life. But at the same time that they found the Word of God, and at the same time that revival begins to brew in the nation of Israel, and people start to turn their heart back toward the Lord, and, and, and the nation begins to get on track again, there was a prophecy. There was a prophecy that, uh, that the prophet Huldah gave um, back in uh, 2 Kings chapter 22. And I'm going to read it to you guys. You guys can go look at it with me if you want to. It says, uh, so Hilkiah the priest, in verse 14 of chapter 22, Ahikim, Achbor, Shaphan, and Isaiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, the son of Herhas, uh, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke with her. And she said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants. All the words of the book which the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods. They might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. But as for the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord in this manner, you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse, you tore your clothes, you wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. So therefore I will gather you to your fathers and you will be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes will not see the calamity that will come. So they brought back that word to the king. 
So as Josiah is going about in the revival, the revival is all spoken of in chapter 23. And we went, we've already spent some time in there. We'll, we'll pick it up again in, uh, in verse 21 of chapter 23. The revival's beginning, the v- revival's going. But I want you to understand something. Over Josiah's whole reign was this word of doom. Judgment is coming. It's not, I, I won't bring judgment in your lifetime. That's all he told Josiah. I won't bring it in your lifetime. But Josiah doesn't quit. He doesn't stop the revival. He doesn't say, well, what's the point? Even though we revive, even though the people serve the Lord again, there's going to be judgment. So I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to quit. A lot of times today, if, if we want to correlate that to our lives... Our lives can be caught up in some issue, something we're praying for, something we're chasing, something we, we desire to see a way that God's going to move in our life, a deliverance He's going to bring, something. And we seek it and we try and we pray and we do the things that we think we're supposed to do and it doesn't come. And more often than not, we quit. Stop praying for it. We stop going after the Lord. We look in the scriptures and we see Jesus talking about prayer and what prayer is all about. He said some interesting things about prayer. He said, keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. What if you know you're not going to get it? What if you know, even though you turn the whole nation around, you're not going to stop the judgment. Well, that's the perfect time to quit, right? I mean, what's, what are you doing it for? And therein lies the issue, doesn't it? What are you doing it for? What is your prayer for? What are you seeking God for? You remember the story I told you, right? About Jesus and the 12 disciples? They're all hanging out there in, in Galilee. And Jesus says, hey, everybody grab a stone. And we're going to the top of the mountain. You guys remember the story? So everybody grabs a stone and they started to hike up the top of the mountain. That's the mountain Jesus would sit on all the time. If you've ever been to Israel, you've seen it. It's this big mountain that overlooks the whole Sea of Galilee. So he said, come on up to the top of the mountain. So they go all the way to the top of the mountain. They get to the top of the mountain. And Jesus looks at all his disciples and he says, he, he waves his hand over them and he turns all their stones to bread. Now Peter Hearing the carry a stone, he looked around and he put one in his pocket. So he got up to the top of the mountain and it was turned to bread. He's got like this little cupcake. Some guys got like a whole loaf of bread because they had a big stone. And Peter said, I see how this works now. I get it. So Jesus said after they finished lunch, he said, guys, we're going to go back down to the Sea of Galilee. Everybody pick up a stone. And so Peter understanding, he thinks, how this is going to work. He finds the biggest, and he's hungry, man. He finds the biggest stone he can get. He picks it up, but heaves it on his shoulder. He trudges down that mountain, all the way down to the bottom. And they get to the, to the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus just says, okay, throw your rocks into the water. And Peter's like, Lord, what's the deal? And Jesus said to Peter, Peter, I just asked you to carry the stone for me. Who are you carrying the stone for? Who are you praying for? 
So God will make your life easy. So God will give you what you want. If we've had children, we've all experienced that at one time or another with our children, right? What do we call it? Oh, that would be selfishness then. Right? Remember when our little children, when they wanted that special thing, that special something? It never changes. I think we can lose sight of the fact that sometime what God is looking for is the act of carrying the stone. There's not some dramatic deliverance that God's trying to work. Maybe he's just trying to teach you to persevere, to endure, to have patience. Josiah didn't quit. Josiah, even though God God said the judgment was going to come no matter what, Josiah never stopped. He never changed who he was. He never stopped seeking the Lord. He never stopped praying to God. He never stopped tearing down altars. He never stopped encouraging people to worship the one true God. He never ceased because his relationship was about a relationship between him and Almighty God, not about whether or not God would give him what he wanted. You think of another example in the Bible? There's this fella in the Bible around 2 Samuel <coughs> I want to say it's around 2 Samuel 22, but I could be wrong. Um, David, you remember David? And he had this one thing everybody remembers him for. He did a million things right, if you remember David. But there's one thing everybody remembers him for. And she has a name, and you knew it. Bathsheba. David slept with Bathsheba and, and then killed her husband excuse me, so he could keep her. And Nathan the prophet came to him. David thought he got away with it. Bathsheba was about to give birth to the child that was born as a result of this. And Nathan prophetically tells David that God knows what he did and that God's going to take the baby away. And the baby's born and the baby gets sick. You remember what David did? Did he say, well, that's just the way it's going to be. God's going to take the baby, so, uh, you know, whatever. I'll just go about my life. The Bible says, David went and laid down on the ground. Let's go look at it. 2 Samuel 12. I want you to just kind of have it fresh in your mind. 2 Samuel 12. <clears throat> About verse 15, it says, Then Nathan departed for his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. <clears throat> David went in to the nursery where the child was. He, he fasted, didn't eat. Not that he proclaimed the fast to the nation, he just was so focused on, on calling out on the Lord that he didn't eat. That's the best kind of fast, by the way. You don't follow any rules. You just are so far after the Lord that you fast. <clears throat> He's on the ground all night. You ever prayed all night long? Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever wanted God to move and deliver and do incredible things in your life? You wanted him to heal. You wanted him to do something amazing. You wanted him to perhaps give life. To your child who's sick. 
Have you ever prayed all night long? Laying on the stone floor, crying out to God? Then you never really wanted it. David wanted that baby to live. But greed? He didn't just do it one night. If you read the rest of the section, this is what it says. David pleaded with God for the child. David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. The elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground. But he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the, what does it say? Seventh day, the baby died. Seven days and nights. No food, no bath, no shower, no work, no nothing. Praying. He had already heard what God's judgment was. God said, I'm going to take the child. I am going to take your baby. But David did not just say, oh, well, I guess that's it. I'll just accept God's will. He prayed all day, all night, until the baby died. I would say if that baby had lived 14 days, this would have been 14 days. If that baby had lived 21 days, it would have been 21. I think sometimes we miss the point of what God's looking for. In Matthew, Jesus tells us to keep knocking, keep asking, keep seeking. He gives an example. You guys remember the example of a woman whose, whose son had been taken to prison or jail, something like that. And, and so <clears throat> she goes to the judge and she beats on the judge's door, you remember? And the judge is mean. The Bible says this is a mean, ornery, good-for-nothing judge hates people. A judge who hates people and she beats on his door. And beats on his door and says, give me justice, give me justice. She wants the judge to do something for her son. She beats on the door and beats on the door until she wears that mean, ornery, good-for-nothing judge down. And she receives what she's asking for from the Lord. Jesus tells that story in light of prayer. And that he didn't tell it because God's mean, ornery like the judge. He said, even a mean, ornery judge is moved by the faith of this woman beating on the door. How much more will a holy, just, righteous God? Now, do I believe you're going to change God's will? No. How do you know if it's God's will or not? Well, maybe you have a special hotline and God has told you, then in that case, you don't need to pray. But David, a man after God's own heart, he prayed until that baby died. He went after the Lord. Lord, please, God, you can do this. I know you can, but Lord, please save my child. All day, all night, praying for that baby. Look what it said. <clears throat> and the servants of David were afraid to tell him. That the child was dead. For they said, indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him. And he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. They think David's going to kill himself. When David saw 
The servants whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. So David said to the servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. And David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes and went to the house of God to worship. Do you hear what David did, the man after God's own heart? He sought God, he was praying God, delivered God, healed God, moved. The way he knew that it was God's will for the baby to go is when he was finished seeking the Lord and wrestling with God in prayer and spending time that God took the baby anyway. Then David knew that was God's will. And he could have peace and worship. Because then he knew that everything's okay. What do you mean? Baby's still gone. We here on earth live for all the little shiny things we can put our hands on. The Bible calls that living for the temporal, the temporary. But God, he's all about the eternal. We think that the 70 years we spend, or perhaps 80, or maybe even 90 for some, I, hopefully not for me, but it's okay for you if that's what you want. All those years we spend, we think are so long. But in comparison to eternity, it's so small. As Paul said that time of suffering is so small. If we strung out a a rope from one end of the sanctuary to the other end of the sanctuary, representing time, eternity. And we took a, and put a red dot on that rope representing your life. That red dot would be so small you couldn't even see it when you looked at the rope. But we think that little dot, everything's in that little dot. All I have, all I'm ever going to be, everything that I live for is that little dot. And we have no perspective of eternity. David went to the house of God and worshiped because he could have peace because he knew it was God's will. He knew it was God's will. So what did he say? He went to his house and he requested they bring food before him and he ate. And the servant said to him, What is this you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. <coughs> but when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, While the child was alive, I fasted and I wept. And I said, Who can tell whether or not the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? I can't bring him back again. But I... Go to him. He won't come to me. See, the child wasn't gone. He just went before David. And when David and that child are in eternity, well, now you have a better perspective. David prayed. Josiah? Kept moving forward with revival. 
Who knows whether or not the Lord may forestall his judgment as a result of revival moving and working in the land. So, while I live, Josiah says, I'm working towards revival. What do you spend your life on? The temporal? The little dot? Or the eternal? Everybody gets the same, right? Jesus told the the parable of the talents. You remember the parable of the talents? He gave to everyone. Some got more talents, some got less talents, but everybody got a talent, right? And then the master went away for a long time, and when he returned, he settled accounts. And he said, what would you do with what I gave you? Well, the one with five talents made ten. The one with two talents made four. The one with one talent buried it in the ground. And didn't do anything with it. Everybody gets the same thing. You get one life. You only get to spend it one time. You can bury it in the ground. You can spend it pleasing yourself. Or trying to make yourself happy. You can live for that dot. Or. You can live for the eternal. And you give that dot away. And you receive so much more. And that's what Josiah got. And that's what David understood. That's what Jacob got. You remember? He's the first one who wrestled with God. What did Jacob do when he wrestled with God? Do you ever ponder that? What did he do? Do you really think? The Bible says he wrestled with God and he prevailed. Do you really think Jacob was whooping God? <clears throat> when the Bible says Jacob wrestled with God and he prevailed, it doesn't mean he was whooping him. It means he hung on and wouldn't let go all night long. How long are you willing to hold on to God? Because Jacob held on to him all night. In fact, he held on to him to a point. You remember what he was asking for? Why was he holding on? He said, I will hang on to you, Lord, until you bless me. Jacob's whole life was as a manipulator, right? Making things work out. If, he got, if, he, if, the guy, if his uncle married him to the wrong woman, he just worked a little longer to get the right woman. Now he has too many women. The two women he marries, they get in a race for who can have the most kids. When Leah stops having kids, she gives her handmaid to Joseph so he can sleep with her. Now he has two too many. And then when Rachel finds out that Leah gave her handmaid into him as a wife, she gives hers. Now he has four. And they're all racing to see who can have the most sons. His whole life was about scheming and manipulating. And what's the Bible say? The Bible says, as a spiritual law, what you sow, what happens? You reap. So if you sow manipulation, what are you going to get? So what happened in his life? What was Leah and Rachel doing? Manipulating. What did Laban, his uncle, do to him? Manipulate. How did he get his birthright and all the things? He lied and cheated and did all this stuff. But on the day when he had to finally own up to everything else and he, and he came before the Lord, he grabbed hold of God and he said, I won't let go till you bless me. And what was the blessing he got? What was the blessing? God give him a lot of money? God give him a lot of, a lot of herds and, and sheep and all that? Sure, he had all that stuff already. God dislocated his hip 
forever. You ever hurt something? I don't know. We played football and hurt a knee. You know, when I was, when I was 17, 18, my early 20s, and I separated shoulders and I twisted knees, I thought I was tough. It don't hurt. You bunch of sissies and put some... I actually duct taped an ankle one time in a football game that I'm pretty sure I broke. But the duct tape wouldn't make a cast so I could keep playing. I was playing in the Marine Corps. See, in the Marine Corps, it's not like high school. In the Marine Corps, there's no mommies or daddies to say, that's a bad idea. You just get to make your own decisions. (laughs) And then, when you're 48 years old, you wake up in the morning and you go, Oh, oh, why do my shoulders hurt? Why does my knee throb? How come it takes me so long to get straight? When I climb out of bed, like, oh, okay. Get the blood flowing. I know, that's why I said I'm not going to 90. (laughs) I'm smart enough to know it's not going to get better. What's the point? Listen. That was such a blessing for Jacob because every single morning, every day, every time it hurt, who did he think about? See, the blessings God gives us is not always what we think we need. The blessing God gives us is whatever we need to stay close to Him. And that might be a pain in the butt. Anybody got one of those? You don't have to. You don't have to name them. Sometimes, that's what he gives. And we can spend all our time wanting deliverance and get mad at God and say, "Forget it. Nothing's working. I pray and it doesn't change. So I'm just going to stop." But that's not the example you have anywhere in this book. Josiah never quit, even though judgment was coming. David never stopped, even though God said the baby would die. And when their journey was over, when their life was spent, they could look at it and say, no regrets. I did everything I could do for the Lord. What are you going to look back at? What do you let nag you in thinking, oh, are we all free of regret? <coughs> I'd like to be free of regret. I got all kind of regret. I've wasted 13 years of my life. I regret that. I can't do nothing about that, right? But I can do something about what am I going to do next? What am I going to do next? What am I going to do next? Do I pray, love, serve, worship God? For what God will give me when I do it. Or do I pray, love, worship God for who he is? One is manipulation. The other is what the Bible calls love. And we've got to learn to move from manipulation to love. What's, what, what's the one thing God wants? You think it's the 619 commandments? 
Listen, in Deuteronomy it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Jesus added in the New Testament another part. You remember what it was? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love fulfills all the law. (laughs) It does more. He just wants love. What he has often is a bunch of people trying to manipulate God. What do I got to do? If I fast, God has to do what I pray, right? Or maybe I need to pray more. If I read my Bible every day, God's got to do what I ask. Is that right? What is that called? Manipulation. You can't manipulate God. What do you have to do? Love Him. You got to fall in love with Him. And that's what Josiah had. <coughs> Look in 2 Kings. I know you think, man, that was a long introduction, Jackie. Don't worry. It'll be okay. 2 Kings 23, verse 21. Then the king commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover to the Lord your God. As it is written in the book of the covenant, such a Passover surely had never been held since the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of all the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. Been a long time since they had a Passover, right? Well, the reality is, Hezekiah, you guys remember Hezekiah? He was the last good king they had before Josiah. He had had a Passover, but Josiah's Passover is like off the hook. Josiah's Passover is the real deal. You got to check this thing out, man. Uh, <clears throat> it says, in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was held before the Lord in Jerusalem. In 2 Chronicles, it tells us what he did. He gave everybody their sacrifice out of his herds. There are a lot of people in Judah. Right? The rule for the Passover was every ten had to have a lamb. He gave it to them. He gave it to all the people. He called them all to the Passover. He he tried to say, look, I'll be the example for you. Because you're supposed to give of your best. Well, the best of all the herds in all of Israel was whose? The kings. So he gives them. He gives them and they do this killer Passover. Because he loves God. He gives God his best, not his leftovers. He gives God everything. He shows the people. He models for the people. Listen, you want your kids to love the Lord, then you got to love them. You don't love them, the kids won't. They learn from what you do, not from what you say. They're going to live life just like you. Just what you model. I'd like to take it back. I'm old and my kids are grown. I can't undo it, right? What can I do? Pray. What Can I pray for them? Well, but what if I pray and God doesn't just dramatically change my kids? I should quit, huh? I definitely shouldn't stay up all night and pray. I shouldn't pray expecting something to happen. I shouldn't just keep going after the Lord and keep knocking, keep asking, keep... Seeking, right? Oh, that's that's what the Bible says. Sometimes we got to get back to what the book tells us, don't we? <laughs> he modeled for all the people. 
Then it says in verse 24, Moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted mediums, spiritists, the household gods and idols in the land of Judah and Jerusalem, that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. He read the Bible and then did what the Bible said in his life. Wow, there's a rare concept, huh? Well, for the most part in our world today, people read the Bible and then think they got to change it because it's archaic. Let me ask you a question. I actually heard on a radio show <coughs> not that long ago. Uh, I don't remember who it was, Congress, Senate, somebody, was stating that the, 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 the Constitution was archaic. And needed to be rewritten. Now would that rub you wrong? If it don't rub you wrong, you don't have any idea what that means. <laughs> they change the constitution, they can change anything. Right? But in our world today, they can change this. They can say, if you actually try to do this, that's illegal Canada you can't preach the first three chapters of Romans it's a hate crime you think you're that far from that here Supreme Court just said DOMA doesn't exist you guys remember what DOMA is Defense of Marriage Act Proposition 8 it's all unconstitutional Now look, I don't want that to be the main thing. You know, we screw up in the church. We just bust the chops of homosexuals all the time. Is it a sin? Sure it is, absolutely. Sin. It's a sin. I don't care what the Supreme Court says. They can let you do anything. For crying out loud, they let you live together without being married, don't they? Oh, the, by the way, the Bible calls that a sin. Well, they let you sleep together if you're not married. By the way, the Bible calls that a sin too. They let you lie. The Bible calls that a sin. What does the Bible tell us? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I think it's important that people own up to being a sinner. They don't usually do it when you stand with a picket sign shouting them down that they're a sinner. Have you, have you found that to work? That method? I'll give you a bullhorn. Stand on a corner and yell at everybody who drives by. Sinner! Dirty sinner! If you get one person to come to Jesus Christ that way, I will shake your hand. Jesus found another way. That's what made him so radical. You remember what they said? You're always hanging out with sinners, Jesus. What's wrong with you? Well, you people think you're good. So I'm not going to waste my time with you. You think you're okay. He hung out with people who knew they were screwed up. That's who he hung up with. Because he didn't have to get them to think they were screwed up. He'd say, 
man, you guys are pretty screwed up. And they say, yeah, we're pretty screwed up. Help. And he was right there, wasn't he? He was right there. It's all about being willing to define yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ. I've probably said it, preached it 10,000 times. My favorite thing about Celebrate Recovery is that. I am a grateful believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I am not everything else or anything else first. Before I am anything, before I am someone struggling with sin, before I am somebody, I am a believer in Jesus Christ. If that ain't the first part in your statement of your life, then you are still in your sin and you are screwed up. And nothing's going to change until that does. Nothing's going to change in your life until you learn to love God like Josiah. He read the word and did what it said. We read the word and the Bible says <coughs> not to lie. And what's the first thing we do? Make excuses for why we should be able to lie. First thing that happens if I tell somebody you shouldn't lie. It's, well, what if your wife comes to you and says, Honey, does this dress make me look fat? What should I say? <laughs> I will tell you. If you really want to know, I'll tell you. You say, Honey, this is a trap. I refuse to play. The Bible says don't lie, don't steal. The Bible says love the Lord your God with all your heart. The Bible says if you love God and say you hate your brother, then you're a liar. How can you love God who you've not seen and hate your brother who you do see? God is all love, no hate, no shadow of turning. Josiah read it, and he threw the stuff out of his life that messed his life up. What messes your life up? Computer? Throw it out. What messes your life up? TV? Throw it out. What messes your life up? The magazines? Uh, well, I don't know. Whatever. Throw it out. Get rid of it. That's what he says. He put everything out. Put the mediums out, the spiritists, the household gods, the idols. This next phrase. <coughs> All the abominations. Oh. So most people think there's only one of those in the Bible. <clears throat> Some people think the only abomination in the Bible is a homosexual. I hate to tell you this. Liars are an abomination. We got any of those? Welcome to the club. He put out all the abomination. He got rid of anything in his life that would, with, that would stop him from being able to lay hold of all that God had. Man, Josiah's doing good. It says, Now before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. Now that is <coughs> hyperbole. It doesn't mean that he's the greatest king ever. It just means that he was awesome. He was amazing. The Bible says the exact same thing about David. says the same thing about Hezekiah. says the same thing about Josiah. 
the phrase is a Hebrew idiom. That means a figure of speech saying this guy was an amazing king. Nobody like him. Went after the Lord with all his heart. Went after the Lord with all his soul. Went after the Lord with everything there was about him. But listen to verse 26. Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of his great wrath, with which his anger was aroused against Judah, (coughs) because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. Folks, Manasseh hadn't been king for more than 60 years. Do you know that your sin ripples in time? God's judging the nation over a king who's been dead for 60 years. God's judgment is going to come when God's judgment comes. That's what makes him God. He gets to judge. But Jesus said, I did not come to the world to condemn the world. But I came to the world through me the world might be saved. Jesus said, you're already condemned. Doesn't really matter whether you think you are or not. But if you want help, I'm here. To whosoever will call on the name of the Lord. Whosoever. Whosoever will say, help. I want to believe. I need you in my life. Not so that you make my life perfect. Not so that you change all my circumstances and the cancer goes away and everybody lives happily ever after. That's manipulation. you got to want them just because you love them. And if it's not enough that he can forgive you of all your sins and give you a right standing before Almighty God, then it won't be enough no matter what he does. Man, Josiah... It's one of my favorite guys. In fact, I, I named the baby Josiah. I, I don't get to meet him until I get to heaven. Josiah came after Cole and before Joe. God took Josiah home. It's a good name. I think he'll be a pretty special person when I meet him one day. I could decide to be mad. I could be frustrated and angry. How's that? Help. (coughs) Or I could believe what this says. My baby's not gone. He's just gone ahead. Isn't that what David said? It's true or it's a lie. If it's true, it's all true. I believe it all. Every letter, every phrase, every piece, even the part in the beginning that says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How stupid am I? We'll see. We will. Listen, look at verse 27. The Lord said, I will also remove Judah from my side as I have removed Israel, and I will cast off the city Jerusalem, which I have chosen in the house of which I said my name will be there. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah, all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? Actually they are. And here's a little snippet. 
In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, <clears throat> went to aid the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates. So King Josiah went against him. And Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo. Oh, Megiddo goes by another name. You guys know the other name? Armageddon. It's all over the Bible. All over the Bible. Well, <coughs> I kind of want to understand this a little better. So turn in the right in your Bible. So 2 Chronicles chapter 35. 2 Chronicles 35 verse 20. <coughs> Excuse me. And it gives a little section on, on the end of Josiah's life. Hey, Josiah's been trucking, doing great things. Revival happening. Josiah's on the money. Can a guy who's trucking, doing things right, everything going good, living his life fully for the Lord, can he do something wrong? What do you think? Or can he only do something right? <laughs> as long as God gives us the opportunity to choose, you can choose poorly. Can't you? Sure you can. Look what happens. Verse 20. After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple... Nico, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Karshemesh by the Euphrates, and Josiah went out against him. So Josiah, Pharaoh Nico is going to go help the king of Assyria try to fight Babylon. Now Babylon is about to become the baddest dudes on the block. They're going to become the next world kingdom in actually a very short period of time. So 2 Chronicles 35, 20. Nico's going, and Josiah decides he's going to go stop him. Now, maybe Josiah thought God would deliver him like he did Hezekiah. Maybe Josiah thought that he was just going to go, and, and God would show up and, and take care of the battle for him. I don't know what Josiah was thinking. I don't know. But there is such a thing called presumption. Presumption means that you presume to know what it is that God's asking you to do. And when we presume to know what God's asked us to do, we're not usually right. And same is true with Josiah. Josiah goes to Armageddon to do battle with Pharaoh Necho. But look, Pharaoh Necho, it says in verse 21, <coughs> sent messengers to him, saying, What have I to do with you, king of Judah? I have not come against you this day but against the house with which I have war. For God commanded me to make haste. Refrain from meddling with God, who is with me, lest he destroy you. That's what Pharaoh said. Now maybe Josiah thought, how in the world can Pharaoh know God? I know God, but I don't know if Pharaoh really knows God. I don't know what he was thinking. But verse 22 says, Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself so he might fight with him. And did not heed, listen to this, did not heed the words of Nico from the mouth of God. Do you know that God can speak through just about anybody he wants to? You remember that little thing about the donkey, right? The foolish things, the Lord says, I, I use the foolish things to confound the wise, the weak to confound the strong. Caiaphas, who was instrumental in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the Bible says the Holy Spirit came upon him and he prophesied, saying, It is good that one man die for all the nation. 
That was what God wanted him to say. Caiaphas would have never said it if he knew that's what God wanted him to say. But when God wants you to say something, it happens. So Pharaoh Nico was actually speaking words that came from God. Josiah, go home. Josiah, go home. That's not your fight. I'm not calling you to put your nose in this. I'm not asking you to be a part of this. So he came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. And the archers shot King Josiah. And the king said to his servants, Take me away, for I am severely wounded. So his servants therefore took him out of that chariot, put him in the second chariot he had, and they brought him to Jerusalem. So he died and was buried in one of the tombs of his fathers. And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. That's not all. Jeremiah mourned for Josiah. You read the book of Jeremiah, you see Jeremiah lamenting Josiah. Why didn't you listen? It says, And to this day all the singing men and singing women speak of Josiah and their lamentations. They made it a custom in Israel, and indeed they are written in the laments. They sing songs about him. They cried over him. They wept him. They mourned him. Josiah, great king, following the Lord, making the, the Bible everything that he wants to live by. But in one moment of disobedience, when he was pretty sure there's no way God could speak through that guy. And it turns out, God was speaking through that guy. Presumption brought Josiah down he's the last good king two more puppet kings and then Nebuchadnezzar you guys remember Nebuchadnezzar he's the guy who takes Daniel and the book of Daniel starts and the children of Israel find themselves in captivity I love Josiah I love the guts and the heart and the determination and the willingness to tear down all that stuff and to really give himself wholly to the Lord. What does that tell us? It tells us that it is never time to say, I got this. You know when David fell into sin with Bathsheba? You know what that chapter begins with? In the spring... When the kings go out to war, David stayed home. Why? Well, come on. Surely God wants you to have a day off now and again. Don't he? Rest is not such a bad thing. When God says rest, if God says it's springtime. Go to war. You got to go. I presume to know that God wants me to stay. And I just happen to see a woman bathing on her rooftop naked. And I think, that's the only thing I want in the world. If only I could have her, everything would be better. And he began to water the grass on the other side of the fence. And you know what it did? It turned green. It's so shocking. <laughs> we can't presume. We have to know. How will we know? How would Josiah know if God wanted him to go? 
prayer. But sometimes our prayers are so quick, right? Average believer in America prays less than 60 seconds a day. I don't think we're spending enough time to hear what God wants us to do. I think we presume to know. And that's not a great place to be, is it? But to be a man or woman willing willing to wrestle in prayer. <coughs> do you know God is able? Do you believe God is able? Do you know what the rest of the verse says? Sometimes we think God is able means, well, I don't got to do nothing. God is able. Is that what that verse says? Does that verse say, I, you know, God's got my back. It's good. I don't have to do nothing. I don't need to be a part of the solution. I really, it doesn't really matter. Uh, God's able. Is that what he's saying? <laughs> God is able to do abundantly above all you can ask or imagine according to the spirit that works in you. According to the spirit that works in you. God is able to change you, to empower you, to give you the heart like Josiah or like David or like any of the other heroes in the Bible. To be a man or woman of prayer. And if we're a man or woman of prayer, we won't presume we'll know what God wants. Won't we know what God wants? How will we know what God wants? Because when we're committed to him in prayer, when you spend time in his word, you know what you become familiar with? His voice if your best friend husband wife calls you on the phone do you recognize her voice i recognize my wife's voice yeah that's cat hey cat what's up what's going on <coughs> i know her voice i talk to her every day you ever said i don't know how to tell if this is god's voice Talk to him more. Read his Bible. Read the word more. Pray more. Get familiar with his voice. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know. Listen. God is able to do abundantly above all you can ask or imagine according to the power of the spirit that works in you. The spirit works in you when you give your life to Jesus Christ. If you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, there's no power. There's no spirit, there's no voice, there's no strength. There is just a vast emptiness and nothing changes. But you give yourself to him. To as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. Even to those who believe upon his name. That's it. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And you will be saved. I got to stand up? Nope. Got to raise my hand? Nope. A lot of things you don't have to do. But you do have to believe. You do have to believe in your heart. Holy, completely, Spirit of God comes into you and now you have power. And 
he will guide and he will lead and he will move if you believe do you believe the most important question you'll ever answer do you believe Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God he lived the perfect life died without sin paid the price for mine so I could have a right relationship with God. Jesus said in John chapter 8, <clears throat> Unless that you believe I am eternal God, you will die in your sin. Do you believe? That's all we need to be Josiah. That's all you need to be David. That's all you need to be Jacob. That's all you need to be Elijah. That's all you need to be like Moses. That's all you need to be like Paul or any one of the disciples. That's it. You have that. And the same spirit lives in you that lived in them. And the same things they did, you can do. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for this time. Lord, we... We thank you for an opportunity just to, to be here together to, I don't know, talk about the Word, read the Word of God, see how you move and work within it, Lord. And I just pray, God, if there's anybody here tonight that has not made that confession, that they would. It's really not that hard. I still got questions. That's okay. We'll take care of those. You believe and the answers will come. God, I just pray that you would move in our midst. For Lord, we desire to experience a revival like Josiah. I know judgment is coming on this nation. I know. And I'm not sure we can do anything to stop that judgment. I think... The Bible, the book of Revelation tells us it's coming. Judgment will come. But Jesus, you gave us a job to do. You said, go into all the world making disciples of all men. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them all the things that I have commanded. And lo, I am with you even until the end of the age. We got a job to do. Men and women outside our doors are starving. They're eating styrofoam and they don't understand why nothing satisfies. And we have the truth. Lord, help us not hide it inside, but to take it out. Help us to invite our friends and neighbors to come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Help us share what God means to us. Help us do what you're asking us to do. But the only way our community changes isn't because a law passes or it doesn't. The only way our community changes isn't because of who we elect or who we don't. The way our community changes, one life at a time, surrender to Jesus Christ, will change everything. It's happened before, God. 
in the early 1900s in Welsh, England. A coal miner decided that he was going to just stand on the corner and tell people about Jesus. A year later, there was not one pub in that whole town. Not because they picketed, not because anybody said drinking is evil. People just fell in love with Jesus and didn't have time for it anymore. That's the kind of move of your spirit we want, Lord. We believe that you are able to do abundantly above all we ask or imagine. We also know that you're going to use us to do it. So God, I pray, Jesus, work in our heart, work in our life. Change us, open our eyes that we can see you. Father, help us fall in love with you. Be glorified as we lift this time to you. We just give you thanks. By your spirit, move in our midst. And we give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.